This is the People Make Things podcast, a behind-the-scenes look at the modern entertainment industry. I'm your host, Christopher Natsuume. The internet knows me a little bit better as Nine Squirrels. All right, everybody, we are back and... One of the big problems of working with Singaporean people is you get to learn how to pronounce Chinese names. Today we are going to be talking to Gwen Guo. How close was I? How close was I? Fantastic. All right. All right. Cool. <laughs> you're just saying that because you're being nice. And no. <laughs> she is. She is the founder and director of Imba, a sound studio in Singapore. I'm going to let her tell us a little bit about who she is and what she does. Yeah, hi guys. So yeah, as as Chris mentioned, I'm Gwen Guo. I'm actually like uh, one of the three co-founders in this um, Singapore-based startup that uh, that does game audio. So everything from music, sound effects, voiceover, and implementation. I wanna I wanna know a little bit like right off the bat. You 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 know you say you do sound, you do music. Who who are you guys doing most of your work for? What where where who who are most of your clients? Is it games? Is it movies? Is it, who do you guys work for? Okay, so we don't limit ourselves to games. Um, we do stuff for YouTubers and a bit of film here and there. But, I mean, the disciplines that we are trained in and the way we market ourselves is primarily games because, like, when we first started this company, like, there wasn't anyone doing game audio as a studio specifically because it requires a, a specific set of skills, which is not just about doing the assets, but implementation as well, understanding game engines, understanding a bit of scripting. So how did okay? So when when you say when you started, let's go back a little bit. Tell me a little bit about how Imba gets started. And and just just I I think a lot of people who aren't from Asia, what is an Imba? What I I don't I for the longest time I thought that was a Singaporean anagram for something. <laughs> and I I learned recently that it's actually a gamer term. And I, I apparently it's an Asian gamer. What, what is an Imba? Okay, so Imba is a uh, is. Let's say you are playing against somebody and you lose terribly and this person seems too OP. So normally we say, oh, you're so imba. So imba is a short form for imbalanced. But I'm not sure whether it's primarily used in Asia because I actually found the term in Urban Dictionary. So <laughs> maybe I, I, it's just a different genre. I'm not sure. I don't know. Like there's all these different varieties of subcultures in games. And maybe, it, yeah, and maybe right. like, I don't know, maybe that comes from people that I don't talk to. I've never heard Imba before. And for the longest time, I thought it was an anagram. And I thought I was up on my gamer talk. <laughs> I thought I was leet enough to know. But maybe I'm too old. I'm like an old man. And maybe this is what the kids say these days. So... So tell me a little bit about how Imba starts. Where, where does it, what is the genesis of this company? Okay, so to be honest, um, Imba was actually bought out from my depression. So wow. a little bit, yeah. <laughs> a little bit of context was that um, I think post grad. So I was a graduate from a VFS Vancouver Film School Sound Design, and mm -hmm. um, as most graduates face, we face the post grad anxiety of finding jobs. So everybody else in the world, they are able to get jobs, you know, they're posting on social media, they're like, hey, I just got hired by Ubisoft, you know, yay me. And then there I was, you know, I just went through a terrible breakup and like, um, I was, su I was suffering from this anxiety and so I decided to wing it. So I decided to do a unpaid attachment in Hong Kong doing audio posts because um, at that part of the time, you want to get any job you can get your hands on, right? Even if it means like unpaid, just mm -hmm. for experience. So in Hong Kong, I was part of this. Um, I was doing a whole bunch of stuff for um, a lot of Hong Kong films. You know, it was great. Some people, I mean, there were some celebrities. There was like Aaron Guang. There was like Jackie Chan. 
um, one of the interns there and then doing like a, yeah, so-called intern, mm. doing um, Foley recording, doing a bit of basic sound effects. But I mean, I spent six months there with little knowledge of the language because like they spoke Cantonese and I think because of the tense situation between Hong Kong and China, like people just refuse to speak Chinese. Like, but they don't when you say understand. Chinese, you mean Mandarin Chinese? Yeah, Mandarin, okay. that's right. Yeah. So um, they refused to speak to me in Mandarin, and um, they just spoke in Cantonese all that all, all this time, and I had to... Maybe maybe they just didn't like you. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's another topic. So um, I, I, I suffered quite a bit there because the, the culture was a six-day work week, double shifts. I mean, it was like... Um, day shift for one week, and then the next week was night shift, and Oof. next week was day shift again. That's so it's brutal. Oh, that's yeah, hard so to live. Yeah, so six day work week, and everybody chain smoke inside. Like I was stuck in this like three by three. Um, by three by three, I mean meters, ah. Uh. Uh, and this this guy was just like smoking, I think one pack of Ritz in I four have, hours. I have this image of all of you in a three foot by three foot room. <laughs> uh, no, no, that would be pretty tense. So yeah, but aside from that, I think what really got me down was um, firstly the lack of friends. Um, secondly, um, just how skewed the gender roles were. So in the studio, all those in the office were women, and all those in the studio for guys. And, like, once I was in the studio, like, nobody knew how to deal with me. Like, they didn't want to talk to me, and, like, I didn't know what to talk to them about. So, it was just really weird. Like, all these uncles were there, and they were telling me, like, why are you in sound engineering? Like, why aren't you getting married to a rich husband back in Singapore? You know, just live a happy life. Like, why aren't you playing the piano or something? Wait, like, wait, just... wait. I got I to gotta call you. They actually literally said that. Or or was it the feeling of that? Or they literally looked no, you in the like, eyes and said, like, yeah, why are you not that. going and getting... Wow. Yeah. That's some full-on I mean, sexism. That's like, that's not, that's not like any sort of maybe it was sexist. That's full-on, holy fuck, that's sexist. Yeah, and, but like, it, it's a little bit different when, uh, old Cantonese uncle says it. Like, you can tell that he's coming from a good spot. Like, I think he's really concerned because like, like, you know, it's a six day work week and I, uh, you know, there's a smoking environment. I, I like how you're like, yeah, it was really, really sexist, but they meant it well. <laughs> I mean, I try to look at the bright side of things, but obviously it still got me down. Um, yeah, and when I left that place, I was crying to the director who was a lady and she said that like, yeah, this is the way things are and we can't change it. Oh, I forgot to add. Yeah, so some dubbing directors, you know, some of the their clients, they came over from mainland China and they would like straight up like uh, look at me up and down and then they'll say like... Uh, I'm gonna say this in Chinese, right? Okay, so they say, "Oh, 你真是个小妹妹啊," which is like, um, "You're really a little girl," you know, <laughs> like wow. literally translated. So, yeah, this kind of crap. So I couldn't take it anymore. Like I wanted to die. Like <laughs> I was like rolling around in bed and I couldn't get up. And like, you I was see, here, here's the thing. I'm I'm gonna just hop in this story for just a second. As a white dude in the game industry, you don't know how many times I've been in conversations with other white dudes who were like, yeah, the game industry really isn't, it isn't so sexist. It's not as I haven't seen that. I would just like to point out, holy fuck, there, look, see, real live fucking it happens, like right there. So Okay, yeah, but to be fair, this is in the film industry, which uh, brings me to my next conversation. Um, yeah. So I... In that time where I couldn't even get out from bed because I was so upset, right? But I still managed to Facebook message Sharon, my other co-founder, mm -hmm. and my friend at that time. So I messaged her and I was 
and 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 that's when I was like, yeah, let's do this shit. I think I'm sick and tired of like the film industry. I think um, compared to the film industry, right, the games industry is a little bit more progressive. It's like younger, and at least people are trying to build new cultures around it. It's it's not like oh, there's this bunch of like old white dudes dominating the scene, and it can't well, be changed. Well, I I hate to break it to you. Part of this is because you're a little younger than me. Um, had, <laughs> had you been around? 15 years ago in the game industry, it looked a lot like that film industry you talked about. Yeah, yeah, about. I believe so. So I'm, I'm quite lucky that like I'm, I'm born in this era and I'm enjoying this right now. So yeah, so um, also because when I came back to Singapore, I think me, Sharon, and at the point of time, Jeremy, I think we were quite upset about freelancers undercutting each other because like, you know, the game audio industry is really, really small in Singapore. Um, so... When people start competing on price point, it totally demeans the industry. Oh, it's, it's not. It's not. It's not just sound. I mean, I I've heard this. I mean, you certainly, if you go look at freelance artists in Southeast Asia, some of the costs that people are willing to work for, you're like, stop it, stop doing that. You're making it very difficult for any of us to make any money. And they do it for a very short period of time, and then they realize that that's not a viable business, and then they drop out because there's five other people to replace them. That that sort of abusive bit of the industry continues, and it makes it very difficult for anyone to make any money. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. So I think that's why when we, especially in a small country like Singapore, like it's inevitable that you have to be part of the community because like it's not just about hanging out with your friends and having fun, but it's actually saving your ass as well. I mean, yeah. making the industry welcome for everybody, including yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's why we started Imba like as a company instead of us uh, freelancing as individuals as before. Mm -hmm. So what? What? Give me a date. How long ago was this? Um. Okay, that was a our birthday our fourth birthday is next month okay so so, so yeah, a good in in, in 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 the game industry four years is like forever that's Seriously? A re <laughs> oh, oh yeah yeah most studios close down by then so you're doing good <laughs> yay <laughs> yeah so um yeah but um i mean apart from that story uh because of my education in vfs like um it made me really appreciate sound effects as well. So we didn't want to be just doing composition. Like we wanted to be pushing ourselves in terms of like a sound design and implementation and all these other less known in Asia specifically, like lesser known disciplines of sound that we want to bring to the table. You get mm. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So tell me, I want to. I know a lot of people listen to this particular podcast because they know I bootstrapped a studio, and I've got a lot of friends who bootstrap studios, and we talk about how we bootstrapped our studios. And uh, I, I don't believe you guys didn't get any investment. I don't think you've had any investment nope. yet, have you? Not so, at all. So you guys are still totally founder owned, and yep. and and total respect for that. Tell me a little bit about how you did it. How do you how do you start a studio with no money, and how do you build a studio with no money? Because people want to know that. Okay, so to be fair, I mean, before we started the company, as freelancers, we already had our own client base. So we simply transferred that client base to the company. But I mean, it still wasn't, we, we, I mean, we weren't, we weren't rolling cash, <laughs> right? So for myself, I set myself a time limit. Like in two years, if I wasn't earning a comfortable wage, like I think it's time to reevaluate. Mm -hmm. And um, honestly, it's terrible advice, but because I'm sort of privileged, meaning that like um, I don't have to worry about um, taking care of my children, I don't have to worry about like hospitalization for my parents, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. I kind of put all my eggs in a basket, and that by itself was a great motivation to get my shit together and 
make sure my company is sustainable. <laughs> I want I want to talk a little bit more about that for a minute because I think one thing people don't talk about a lot is how starting a business affects their family. Now, obviously, mm. you you're not married, you don't have kids, so you don't have that part of the part. But you do have parents, and I'm curious how supportive were your parents of the idea of you starting your own business instead of going out and getting a job? Um, I think they okay in the first place they still have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Like, uh, I think they know I'm kind of working in games, but they don't know exactly what I, what goes behind it. So I think that big question mark, it, it prevents them from asking more. They're like, oh, it's just like my daughter doing her thing again. So. But I know, I know for us, especially in Singapore, to be honest, uh, we yeah. run into a lot of times where parents are like, hey, you're 20 something years old. Why don't you have a job yet? And and we've actually had people who had jobs with our studio and their yeah. parents are like, "Ah yeah, but you're working in games. That's not that's not a real job. When are you going to go get a, you know, a job teaching or a job at a bank?" Yeah. Um and and we actually have one of our staff members pressured so hard, you know, you need to be teaching, you need to be teaching because that's a legitimate job. Yeah. And 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 they actually quit and they were a teacher for 2 years. They were miserable. And they came back and they were like, can I get my job back? And we're like, hell yeah, you can come back. But, but they actually got pressured so hard by their parents to get what, what was considered in Singapore a legitimate job. And, and the, 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 the punchline being, he was teaching game development. So, I mean, if game development itself wasn't a valid job, teaching it would have been a completely useless <laughs> job. But, but the, that was, teaching was a more reliable, steady paycheck and a more, you get the whole point. So, have, yeah. you don't get this pressure from your, your parents? Okay, so I'm pretty lucky in the sense that my, my parents are pretty, um, they can be convinced. So, so since young, like, okay, so before VFS, I actually quit university. Like, up to now, I'm probably like Ian, like, I don't even have a degree because I, I left halfway to pursue a diploma and to work. Mm -hmm. And all these choices have always done up proper proposals for my parents. Like, mm. I wrote them emails, I did a proposal, I did a business plan, I charted of, of out, okay, these are did. my finances, these are my finances, you know, if it reaches this point in two years, then I'm deciding to drop. So, if you want to convince your parents, right, and if they are receptive to it, build a case. I mean, after all, they've been the ones that have, bringing, that have been uh, bringing you up all these years. So, build a case, treat them as like um, investors, you know, even though they may not invest in you. That, that's actually probably the best advice I've ever. I've that's the first time I've ever heard anyone give me some real actionable advice on how to solve that problem. So that's <laughs> that's pretty cool. So so I want to go back to the the bootstrapping bit. Um, yeah. So you were in this good position, but you got two other founders. How how did they make? I mean, was it pretty much the same story for them? They brought their clients along as well, and and you kind of worked it like that. How how did how did the other two founders uh, make this happen? Okay, so I think let me just think for a bit. I think for Jeremy, um, his parents were also pretty supportive. In fact, I think two of them, three of us, we, we are pretty lucky. In fact, when we have parties and stuff like, um, like our company birthday, we make it a point to invite our parents and let mm -hmm. them meet together so they can form this sort of like parental focus group on like my children doing risky <laughs> business. <laughs> <laughs> and then just watch them talk about it, you know. And most of the time, we are quite lucky that um, they're quite proud of us, and which is weird because my dad, being a typical Asian dad, he's never really said that he's proud of me in my face, you know. But <laughs> in front of like other people's parents, he's like, yeah, no, I'm quite proud of her, you know. So, <laughs> so that's pretty nice. Um, See, that's that's the exact opposite of Japanese people. Japanese people will never tell someone else that they're proud of their children. And Japanese parents are all like, oh, I'm I'm quite ashamed. He hasn't done quite. You know. <laughs> I mean, you you could be president of the United States, and your Japanese parent would be like, 
well, we had really hoped for better for him. Like, <laughs> there is no way you're allowed to brag on your family in Japan. So I'm surprised you could do that in China. The, people, people talk about Asian culture, and this is more, again, proof. There is no Asian culture. There is specific various cultures in Asia. Yeah, it's pretty diverse. I mean, like, um, but I think what was more important for me is that um, the thing about Singapore families is that they don't really talk to each other a lot. Like, the communication mm. is just weird. A lot of things are assumed. So... I, with my mom especially, I make it a point to keep talking about things that I'm doing, even if she doesn't want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. So everything from my failures to my worries to my internal problems, I just tell to my mom. And I'm not expecting a reply. I'm just like sort of feeding her information. But no, I think this is important. Uh, you know, another thing we never talk about when we talk about entrepreneurship, you know, you read the books and stuff. Nobody talks about that support network. I, I have my wife for this, you know, and yeah. I, I take long walks with my wife. And she just sits and listens to me vent, and I go off about all of the shit that's going on and whatnot. And and I don't think she's ever really offered me an incredible solution to anything, but just yeah. having somebody to to talk to, uh, you know, I, I think you know when when you talk about bootstrapping and you talk about being an entrepreneur, I, I think you've hit some really important points. This being able to lean back on a family that's supportive, being able to say, hey, I come from a place where. You know, worst case scenario, I still can go live with my family. I can still, you know, feed yep. myself. This is a kind of privilege that, that you and I have That's both right. had that, that a lot of people don't have. And, and when you talk about entrepreneurs who are like, I built it all myself, I'm always a little bit like, yeah, not really. You know, yeah, not you, really. You, you come from a position, you and I both come from a position of some privilege that allowed us to do this. And, and you have to kind of be a, cognizant of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm always trying to find ways to seek how to get people who are from not as privileged background to be able to take this risk as well. But it's a, it's a much bigger question than simply within the games industry, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got to do with a, a lot of policies, a lot of welfare as well as all these things. So that's another topic for another day. But it's, it's I mean, point taken is that, um, that, our privilege has helped us to some extent in in being able to start up and as well as the supportive network, right? Yeah. So I want I want to, I want to shift gears a little bit. We talked a lot about entrepreneurship and money and family and things like that. I want to talk a little bit about what you actually do about the actual uh, production process of being a sound. So the majority of the products that you're working on are games. How yeah. how and when does a sound team get involved in a video game? Alright, so when we first started, obviously people came to us at the very last minute. And there are still people coming to us at the very last minute. Like, when I say last minute, I mean like one week to three days, you know, that kind of like crazy last minute. But, um, so aside from just putting out assets, right, we do a lot of advocacy. And part of the advocacy is giving talks at uh, conferences as well as uh, educating our clients on when is a good time for us to come in. I mean, a good comparison would be art. I, you, you would bring a concept artist in. Like, why wouldn't you bring a sound person in to conceptualize early on? Yeah. So, yeah, we, we try to keep that. I mean, most, for some reason, clients like freak out when they think about uh, bringing us in early because it means like, oh, you know, we're going to pay you more. But that's not usually the case. You know, consultation is usually free. So... Yeah, that's what we do. We we nag at people. <laughs> yeah, I mean we we do most of our sound in house, and yeah. you know it's 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 a huge advantage to us because we have somebody there at the very beginning of our projects. And I think for people who outsource their sound, they don't have that advantage. So you're you're absolutely right. Getting people in earlier. Uh, yeah, if- because um, okay, it's not just about the creative uh, direction that we need to decide early. A lot of it's about tech as well, the pipeline. Yeah. 
So what version control are you using? What's the sound engine you're building? And all these things. Us, we like to tell our the programmers our sound engine requirements as well. Like, oh, we need something that easily helps us randomize. Or, you know, when I come down, do we have a Unity component that allows us to quickly drag and drop sounds? So all these things need to be figured out very early on. Well, and the other thing I, th- I find with sound that a lot of people miss out on is sound, uh, specifically not music, but specifically sound, mm. uh, really changes the feel of the gameplay. You know, we're, we're actually yep. working on a little, a little game where you shift cubes around right now. And, uh, you know, we, we were playing with it and it, it just didn't feel alive. And I said, well, part of the problem, part of the reason this doesn't feel alive yet is we don't have any sound on mm. it. And, and once we added a little tiny bit of sound to it, Suddenly you're like, oh, okay. There's the click of the cubes, is that? And suddenly the game feels better. And and to have that early on in the process, while you're doing your prototyping, while you're doing your your level yep. design, gives you a much better idea of of what the final game is going to sound like. When you start talking about guns or something like that, it's the same thing. Yep. Uh, running around and shooting a silent gun is never going to feel right. Yeah, I mean, not even a silent gun, you know, even a shitty sounding gun. So yeah. sound, is, sound is one of those things where like um, we are quite used to being invisible. Like we know we've done a good job when nobody notices it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so only when things stick out, then it's like, oh, you know, you've done a bad job. So I did want to, one thing that I was curious about, and, and I know this sounds a little rude, but I'm going there. Um, yeah. So you guys do voiceover work and you're in Singapore, and I think yeah. everyone who's listening to this interview can hear what a Singaporean accent sounds like. Um, <laughs> how do you how do you deal with that? How do you how do you because you can't? I mean, how do you, are there people in Singapore that are that are that are accent free Singaporeans? Do you have to outsource that? How do you how do you do voiceovers from Singapore? How does that work? Okay, so if we are lucky, we are able to find great mimics, but and and those with um very neutral accents or American or British, they usually cost really high here in Singapore yeah. simply because like there's a lack of talent here. Mm-hmm. So you can talk about like, I mean, if you hire like, let's say a radio DJ, you know, he can go up to like $800 an hour. And I think a lot Holy of Holy shit. Yeah, I got to right? go start recording shit in Singapore. Right. I, I, my voice isn't terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but I mean, for us, Part of our business is about um, adapting to the situation, and most of our voice talents are actually located overseas. So yeah. we look for voice talents, and this is becoming increasingly popular for voice talents worldwide. Is is in be it for games or for film or for TV, YouTube, etc. So mm-hmm. a lot of voiceover artists have their own setup at home. They have like a decent, like a um, a treated room with like a decent microphone. So, but I mean, but the only setback is that you might have a problem coaching them. Yeah, that right. that was exactly what I was going to ask. How do you how do you make sure that they're doing all of the voiceovers the way that you want them? Yeah, so Skype is one of them, but I I think it's still not as good as uh being face to face. Yeah. Yeah, which is why I mean if if you think that coaching is very 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 important, right? It's like you have to be ready to part with a bit more money for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so that that was cool. I, I'd always wondered about that. Uh, I, and by the way, I should just interject. I, I have a dream that someday I'm going to make a game and I'm going to have a, like a female lead character in the game. I'm going to get her voiced by Riz Lowe. This is my, my <laughs> secret dream. Do it! Dude, it would be... Uh, for those who don't know who Riz Lowe is, Riz Lowe, she was like Miss Singapore, right? That was, that was yeah. the thing, right? And yeah. she had the thickest, richest, most 
foul Singaporean accent you've ever heard. So much that even Singaporeans were like, hey, tone it down a little bit, Riz. Like, <laughs> it was it was awesome. And I would just love to have her, like, come strutting out in a game, you know, covered in guns and whatnot. It wouldn't even look like Riz Lowe, but she'd open her mouth and then Riz Lowe's voice would come out. It would be awesome. That's my, my I secret I think you dream. seriously have a Riz Lowe fetish. Like, this is not the first time you said this. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's, You're, like, uh, obsessed with her. You know, there was, there was, and I, I'm, I'm not sure it's there anymore. There was for a while. I guess Rizlo kind of, kind of pounded up, and she, she wasn't Miss Singapore anymore. And she was, she ran a bar where you could go in and pay a certain amount of money to drink with Rizlo. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, Alan, we must do this. And by the time I got back down to Singapore, apparently she wasn't doing it anymore. But I wanted to go drink with Rizlo. I thought that was going to be hilarious, but uh, that never happened. I was sad. Well, as long as she's still in Singapore, you can still hit her up. <laughs> well, you know, it's now it's just creepy. If she had the bar and it was like a thing she was doing, that would be I could get it. But now it's just now I think it's just kind of stalkery <laughs> and creepy. I want to change gears from Riz Lowe for a bit. Sure. Um, I want to talk about a problem that we have, uh, and 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 it's a problem that all creatives sort of have a problem with, which is you've got clients and they know what they want, but they don't know how to tell you what they want. But what they're really sure of is the thing that you're giving them is not what they want, but they don't know how to tell you why that's not what they want. Uh-huh. Like how like you know that guy, right? How do yeah. you deal with that guy? Okay, so first and foremost, we try to avoid that situation where we just don't know what they want and they don't know what we want. So what has worked for us most of the time is references. Like, I I don't need clients coming to me saying that, oh, you know, we need this to sound jazzy or we need this to sound like a kid's game. And like, that, that doesn't really tell us anything. Like, I mean, there's yeah. so many There's like a million games, kids' games, yeah. Right? And there's like so many genre, sub-genres of jazz. And even then, different artists have different ways of playing jazz, right? Mm-hmm. So we... I think references are the way to go. Like, you can grab something from SoundCloud or YouTube and just let us know, like, okay, I want the energy from this track and I want the kick drum from another track. Or, you know, I want, like, the snare drum from this other track and the lead from... So, you know, you can kind of have this. We call this, like, a reference palette, mm-hmm. like a song palette. So, you know, you don't have to... It's not about copying the song. It's about stealing from other parts of the song to get inspiration to convey what you want, right? Mm-hmm. So... And aside from that, like from very early on, you need to discuss who gets more creative ownership. So I'm not saying that it's wrong or right, whoever gets more creative ownership. It's just a matter of managing expectations. So we've had clients that say, yeah, go wild. Like just do this however you interpret. But when we come back with a track, they're like, no, I I actually don't like this because I already had an idea. And I was like, if you already had an idea of what you wanted, why didn't you tell us in the first place? Like, we're not going to, like, judge you or anything for, like, being... For like not being an open-minded creative individual, so, you know. <laughs> so it's so it's important from the very beginning to define who's driving this, that's and right. and if and if they're driving it, that's fine. You just need to know from the beginning that they actually do want to drive it, so you can let yeah. them drive it. Yeah. Yeah. Because we I've run into that too. It's it's not this isn't a purely sound issue. I've had producers from publishers be like, you know, I'm really interested in your input, and I really want you to look at this, and I really want you guys to be involved. And you're like, yeah, we're thinking of changing this. Nope, that's not part of the vision. <laughs> and you're like, well, then what the fuck did I waste my time? You know, let's just do what you want to do and be done with it. You know. Right, right. We uh, we really we really don't have a problem following what you want us to do. Like we are service providers for a reason, right? 
Yeah, but what what happens? And and this is a problem that I have when you're being directed to do really shitty work, and you're like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't want my name on that. Like I, we're gonna put this out, and <laughs> it's gonna suck, and someone else is gonna be like, well, I guess Chris sucks. I guess he doesn't know how to make games, and you're like, no, so, I fucking they yeah. made me do this. Yeah. So let me tell you a story. So one of our clients from China, right? Um, he paid us like a, a standard rate for original music, which yeah. is like, yeah, it's it's. it's and he asked us to go down to YouTube and rip a music, rip a, a track from YouTube, and then pitch it in such a way that it doesn't infringe copyrights, and then put it in the game. And he was paying us full rates for that. So I was like, I was like really, really confused. Like, like do do you know what original music entails? Like, do you know what it's about? So obviously we refused to do that because that's just unethical, and not only that, the quality sucks. Yeah. So what we suggested is that, okay, we can compose a, a song for you from scratch that closely um, closely follows this track, but we're, we're not going to do the ripping off. And yeah, yeah. furthermore, please don't include our name in the credits. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, like... Um, you, could get, you could get away with that as a sound studio. As a developer of the yeah, whole you game, <laughs> you, it's very difficult to pull your name off of it completely. People know, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was really, really interesting. It was the same thing with sound effects. Like, he would straight up, like, uh, rip this sound effect from another game, and he'll tell us, uh, just clean it up, you know, clean it up and put it... And he was paying full rates for the sound effects. So I was like, what, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, so, like, um, I think as long as... So, as a, as a business owner, we, we sometimes... We can or we cannot pick and choose who our clients are. I mean, for those who are really paying shitty shitty prices and like they seem like shit people to work with i think we can say no but i think at the point of time we were still surviving like let's say in first year so we weren't able to push away gigs so this is one of the solutions that we did was like you know we a job is a job you know we just do this for money but please don't put our name on it so uh, that leads me to my next question very well actually which is um how do you go about finding? So you, you start out from the beginning. You kind of had your own client list. How did you grow your business? How did you find people to work with? How did you choose who you're going to work with? Uh, how did you choose who you weren't going to go work with? But, but I think the thing people really want to know is how do I find clients? How do I build my business through finding clients? Okay, so um, like most of our clients that we've had is through word of mouth. Honestly, like um, you can put your contact form, you can put your website and all that, but. Um, maybe maybe only like 20 to 30 percent of our clients come from contact forms like we're talking about brand new clients that have heard of us by googling but uh, the rest of them are through word of mouth and um, we used to be a lot more active like we we used to go down to casual connect you know our first year we we volunteered at casual connect we handed out name cards we told people what we're doing and the sad thing is that that's the wrong way to go because people especially at casual connect right People tend to lump all service providers together. Yes. So the moment we take out our cards, it's like, oh, what are you doing? Are you analytics? Are you localization? Are you marketing? You know, this sort of thing. And I'll, I'll be honest, even sound. I, I yeah. probably pick up from some variety of sound provider 15 cards at every convention, and they go in a pile of, I, if I ever need a sound person, but I have an, in, I have an in-house sound studio, so I'm never yeah. going to touch those cards. And right. And to be honest with you, if I ever did find myself in need of sound, there's two studios I'd call, yours and the other people I already know, right? <laughs> and and, and not, that's not a compliment to you. It's just I happen to know those people, right? Yep, so yep. Why, why would I go to some sound studio I've exactly. never heard of when I know somebody? Yeah. So I think um, in the later years, we decided not to do that at all. In fact, we decided not to talk about a company at all. 
like we would just go down to these conferences, you know, have a really, really great time. Just, I mean, the headspace that you gain from not hustling adds a lot to how you can be a genuine person, right? If, if in your mind, you're always thinking about, oh, you know, I'm here to get jobs. I'm here to get like promote my services, right? You, you, it's very hard for you to naturally connect with somebody else. And so when we want to find clients and, and we don't even think about finding clients anymore. It's just about let's hang out, you know, let's have drinks. Let's talk about crap that's not even related to game development. And well, and I'll, I'll say something else. And this, this is maybe, maybe a little, little sleazier than you are, but. <laughs> on the the other side of it is like if I'm constantly trying to sell my studio, people are like, "Why is that guy always trying to sell? Is he is he having trouble finding work? Like, yeah. like, like there's that that sort of feeling of like if he's trying this hard to get work, maybe nobody else wants to work with him. But if you show up at a bunch of conferences and you genuinely don't look like you need work, people are like, hmm, they must be good." They, yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. I've never actually thought about that. No, I, I, I actually, I have a, I'm, I'm actually putting together a whole article about how to behave at conventions. And yeah. one of the things I talk about is exactly what you're saying right now, which is, I don't spend any time at all trying to sell my studio at conferences or sell myself. Yeah. It's not, that's not what I'm there for. What I'm there for is to meet people and listen to people and hear what they're up to. Yeah. And if you, if you genuinely go to a conference and just listen to other people and talk to other people and treat them as real human beings, at some point down the road, they're like, oh, yeah, I need a sound studio. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't Gwen run a sound studio? You know? Yeah, precisely. So that's my point about, um, how to network 101, which is like, you, I mean, up to some point, right? I, I'm not sure about, uh, Asia, but I'm pretty sure, like, because I'm going to GDC later on this week. So, mm-hmm. um, the way to network is really get people to like you as an individual. You know, you, you will never be the best. Like, let's face it. You will never be the best composer. You will never be the best programmer. So what the, what's the likelihood of people hiring you based on your skills, right? Rather than mm. like, obviously you need a baseline, right? A baseline of, yes, I'm good, right? But I mean, people want to work with you because they resonate with your values as well. You know, we, we talk about stuff. Like I was just speaking at the previous IGDA, uh, talk that like, um, the reason why I got to know the Casual Connect event, like, we, we are cat lovers, like, we are cat freaks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we just spoke about cats, we shared cat pictures, and, and that Wait, wait, out. Who, who, who are you sharing cat pictures with, specifically? Obviously, Orchid, like, obviously. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> I, did, I did not know Orchid had a cat thing. I was unaware of that. She's crazy about cats. <laughs> I've, n- I've never had a cat conversation. I've had 15, 20 conversations with Orchid. I've never talked about cats. So now now we've let that cat out of the bag, so to speak. Uh, yeah, ha, ha. Yeah, oh, sorry. I had to go there. But no, I mean, the, the other thing I would say is, you know, for me, almost all of our, uh, almost all of our work comes from people we've worked with before. Uh, the, the easiest place for us to find a client is somebody we've worked with before. And so when, when people talk about networking, 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 I'm always like, you know what? Most of your networking is maintaining your relationships. That's right. And, and it's, it's keeping in touch with people you have worked with before and making sure that the people you're working with right now are enjoying working with you and they're going to yep. come back later and be like, you know what, let's just go with these guys. We actually recently got a contract. Somebody was working with another provider that they had gone to that was cheaper and they were, and they got halfway through it and they were like, yeah, fuck this. Let's just get, <laughs> let's just get Chris to do this. Cause I know he'll finish it well. Naturally. Right? Yeah. And, and we're not the, we're not actually the best game developers in the world, but we're reasonably good at what we do. We're reasonably priced. And we get we, we do what we promise to do, and we we're, we're low touch. We people don't have to fuck with us too much. Yeah, you guys are great people. So 
Well, I, that I don't know. I, whether or not we're cool people, but but from but from a position of being a, a provider of 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 you know game development, yeah. uh, a, a publisher can come to us and go, yeah, you know what? If we if we get Chris to do it, they're gonna they're gonna get it done. You know, and and for me, for a sound provider, when I go to sound providers, that's the question. Like, am I gonna have to spend a lot of time screwing around with this and blah yeah. blah blah, or is it just gonna be exactly like you said earlier? I don't have to think about this very much. Yeah, I mean. Uh, I I think being nice takes you very far. I, I, it may seem like I'm being very naggy, but seriously, not being a douchebag can bring you quite far. You, no, you're absolutely right. How many douchebags there are in the industry? <laughs> at this point, it doesn't surprise me at all. It's it's more surprising when people aren't douchebags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I I think if you're kind and like you treat everybody with respect, I, I, that that brings you quite far, you know. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more, and, it, and it's good. You know, I think there's a lot of people who, when they, you know, and I, I meet them. They're like the young people that are fresh to the industry, and you see them at the conventions, and they're like, "Hi, I'm so and so. Here's my card. Let me tell you about what I'm doing." Blah, 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 blah. And you're just like, "Whoa, dude, chill the fuck down." Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, like you're. This is not gonna work for you. This is all you're gonna do is make people think like, "I'm never inviting that dude to a party again." Mm. Like that guy, that guy bummed out my dinner, and. <laughs> I actually, I, I don't know if you've, I, I don't think you've been the one. Uh, I, I do my no business dinner or my, 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 my no business allowed dinner at every conference. And it, it's specifically the last day of the conference. It's people that I know and like. And the rule is nobody gets to talk about business, right? Mm. And it's so nice to go to a game conference and not have anyone try to sell you any shit. Exactly. You know? Uh, and I, 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 there's other people in the industry that do this very well. I, I actually, I'm, I'm going to be interviewing Gabby later. Oh, cool. Uh, and Gabby's, you know, one of my favorite people in the game industry. Yes. He used to work at Boom's Mine App. Too. Now he's got his own studio. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's mastered this art of genuinely being helpful all the time. Yep. You yep. know, you're like, I need to know somebody in the Philippines. And Gabby's like, let me sort you out with that. Right, and he yep. doesn't. He doesn't take a. He doesn't take a piece of that. He doesn't try to interject himself into that business. He's just constantly trying to help his friends out, yep. and and that's how you network. Yeah, like like right. if you want to know how to network, Gabby knows how to network, and it's this constant like. And he's he's so, so, somehow managed to make himself into. If you want to know something about the Philippines, you should know Gabby. Yep. Right, and He's and the champion of the Philippines games industry in that sense. But he got there, and this is the important key. He got there through consistently helping out people. That's right. And that's the, you know, if you in my, in my opinion, if you want the magic to to networking, it's it's that constantly looking for not how do I get business out of this guy, mm. but how do I help this guy? And if you yeah. help enough dudes, sooner or later, it's it's going to work out for you. You're going to be all right. I mean, like everyone, they, they are individual human beings. Like, I think it's it's maybe it's a Singaporean thing, but um, people, you know, in Sims, you have this like a uh, um green thing on your head, right? I feel like yeah. that's how Singaporeans see a lot of other people. Like, they see them as opportunities rather than human beings. You get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I went to a party in Los Angeles once. I swear to God, I'm not making this up. I was really drunk, and my my brother gets invited to all these great like parties with like B class celebrities and shit at it. And <laughs> I don't know why he, he. Well, I know why, but I can't talk about it on a podcast. But uh, <laughs> in any case, I I was at one of these parties, and this woman walks up to me, and I swear to God, looks me right in the eyes, and she says, "Are you anybody?" Wow. And, I mean, actually fucking happened. And to this day, I am so ashamed of myself that the only answer that I could come up with at the time was, yeah, not really. 
you know, and I've thought of it like a thousand answers since then. Like, you know, what if I'd looked her in the eyes and said, like, well, if you don't know, you know, or, or something like there's a thousand things I could have said. And all I could come up with, like, not nah, not really. And she turns around and walks off. And like as as ridiculous as that moment was, I've had that moment repeated a thousand times without those words. You know what I mean? Where like somebody comes up to you at a convention party and they kind of dig around and they figure out like, are you a guy that I need to be talking to? Ah, sounds like you're not. Okay, let me get myself out of this conversation and go somewhere else. And you're just like, yeah, fuck you. Like, <laughs> I'm, I, okay, you're, you're, uh, your card goes in the trash when I go home and I'm never fucking helping you out. You know, like that, that really happens every convention. Yeah. They just, they just aren't as blunt about it as that girl. Yeah, at that that's party right. Was. I mean, at least if you find that, let, let's say, I mean, it's fair enough. I mean, at conferences, you know, people are talking to you. There are going to be people that you probably won't prioritize as high as others, right? But you've got to find an exit strategy that's like a little bit nicer. <laughs> well, you know, I'll, I'll talk to anyone at a conference. I just won't follow up after the conference yeah. with them. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, it's as, as much as I like to talk about this, I do sit down after a conference and I got my big pile of business cards. And they get sorted into, uh, I never want to talk to this guy again. Well, he seemed like a nice guy, but I don't know if there's anything I need to do with him. And I need to follow up. Those are the three. And I, I literally have those three piles. And you'd yep. be surprised how big the first pile is, right? And that just gets <laughs> thrown right in the fucking trash. But the, the, well, he seemed like a nice guy. That pile, that gets added to my Facebook. That gets added to yep. my stuff. And yep. somewhere down the road, maybe there's something I can do to help that guy. Maybe there's yeah. some, you know, and, and, you know, certainly once I started doing these podcasts, you, uh, you bet I'm hitting that pile. <laughs> so um, it's useful after all. Yeah. It all worked out for me. So I want to talk a little bit about you personally and yeah. how you work and what your daily schedule like, uh, you know, yeah. you're running a studio, you're doing, uh, you're doing, a, you're doing actual production work. How do you, how, what is, what does a day in your world look like? Okay, so at Imba, I'm just like uh, not just a co-founder, but um, other hats that I wear. Because you know, most small studios we wear multiple hats, right? So yes, I'm the project manager as well as the producer, as well as uh, I do production work, a bit of biz dev here and there. So, um, I basically like I'm the one that goes around chasing people for deadlines, you know, and <laughs> and you need somebody who's constantly on the brink of anxiety for that, <laughs> which I, I am. That's kind of me in our studio, and I try to keep the anxiety down. I try very hard. We all but do. but there, there does have to be that guy that steps into the meeting and is like, you know this shit's due on Friday, right? Yep. Yep, that's right. That, so, But I feel like shit. Okay, so I we have this uh, daily scrum thing going on in Slack, and then we have like Google Docs, Google Kill, and all these things. So at all right, one so, point so of wait, time, wait, yep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back. So you guys use Slack as your sort of internal uh, Yeah, messaging. that's right. Yeah. All right. So, so for for uh, we use HipChat. Uh, you use Slack. There are actually people out there that don't use systems like this. Can you tell me a little bit how you how do you set up your Slack? Okay. And so, what is Slack for those people who don't know? Okay, Slack is a is a chat client that it, it's really cool because it can be divided into like different channels, and each channel you can set the privacy to uh, specific users. And I think <laughs> the best thing about Slack is honestly the Jiffy <laughs> Jiffy <laughs> function. We we use that all the time. So I'm kind yeah, of happy that HipChat doesn't have that. It makes <laughs> life a little easier. Uh. Yeah. So um, we ha actually have two Slack groups. So within a Slack group, there are many, 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 many channels. Given mm -hmm. our company, like 
at our peak, we can be handling about 20 projects at one go at different times. So that, that sounds quite insane. So for the main Slack group, right, we discuss a lot of biz dev stuff, internal stuff, um, administrative stuff, our direction, is it, uh, education. And then in the other Slack group, we, we segregate our channels in terms of either clients or project names so mm-hmm. that, um, you know, for us who are not on a certain project, we can choose to mute that project and not get distracted by it. Yeah. 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 We, do, we do very similar. Yeah. All right. So, so, so that's your, that's that thing. So, how do you? How, what does a day look like? So, you show up at the office, and what are you doing? Yeah. So, uh, first thing we do, we scrum, and then like I check on other people's deadlines, and then um, I get all my admin stuff done in the morning, so I can get it done and over with, and then concentrate on production work because like I don't like these things to overlap because mm-hmm. when for a lot of creators where we do production work, we don't want to be taken out of it at any point of time, so we yeah. can fully concentrate on it. Um, but I think like, uh, sometimes we get clients that come to us very last minute and that really transfers the anxiety to me. And then the anxiety from me transfers to my studio. And I feel really shitty about it because like, um, I mean, I wouldn't directly say, Hey, you know, why is this done so late to my own guys? You know, we'll be like, I'll be like, um, yeah, you know, so-and-so is not happy, blah, 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 blah. And, and this happened very recently. It's like one of my co-founders actually said, I'm trying my best. And that knocked me out of my anxiety. I'm like, actually, that's true. You are trying your best. There's, there's no reason for me to, to put you through this. And it happens quite often, actually. I get these anxiety things and then like I, I, I put it on my, my own co-founders and then later I, I schedule it in my brain and it's actually not as bad as I thought it was. And then I apologize to them. And it's thanks to them that they are so freaking patient that I am where I am today, you know? You know, you, you've just kind of done me a big disservice because my staff listens to these podcasts and I, <laughs> I, I do the same thing. I get all freaked out about, oh God, we're not going to hit this deadline and we're not going to get paid and I'm not going to have the money to pay you guys and I don't know what I'm going to do. And I come down on them really hard and I'll pull them into a, a hip chat conversation and what the hell? How is this? Th- why is this so <laughs> shit? You know? And right. I, I think I'm a lot worse than you about it. And they're going to listen to this and they're going to be, why can't you be more like Gwen? Why no. can't you? <laughs> it's not easy, you know, like, like, it, it's not just about apologizing. I mean, you can apologize, but I mean, you have to become, try to become a better person as well, right? I, I apologize all the time. Apologies don't mean shit. Yeah, they they're don't like, mean shit. <laughs> you know, yeah, you apologize, but you fucking, you, you ran me through the, and, and I'll tell you when you fuck up, this is when you really fuck up is when you, when you lose it in a conversation with one dude in mm. a room that's got everyone else in it, mm. that, sh- that shit, that like you can pull somebody in a private conversation and be like, what the fuck? And, and you can usually hash it out. But if you, if you do the, what the fuck conversation in front of everyone else, yeah, they're not going to forget that. And you can apologize 15 fucking times and they're always going to remember. Yeah. But you remember that time that Chris fucking called me out in front of everyone else and made me feel like an idiot and talked down to me. You know what? Fuck that guy. <laughs> uh, like, like it is very hard to emotionally come back from that. And that's, that's, I've done it a couple times and every time I've done it afterwards, I'm like, God damn it, Chris, why are you so stupid? You should have pulled him into a PM. You should have talked to him private. You right. really shouldn't have done that. Every time I've done it, I, I ha- sometimes halfway through it, I'll be in the middle of it and I'll be like, fuck, I should take this to a private message, but that's going to look weird now. But I know even while it's happening, why am I yelling at this person in front of the rest of the people? That's a fucking stupid move. I've done that. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you're very right to say that like uh, after all this, you immediately regret and you immediately look back and you say like, that was really stupid. I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, it's I, I've never yelled at anyone and then like 20 minutes later been like, yeah, that was the right thing to do. I that that certainly helped. <laughs> like, I mean, that's it, never it, happened. It makes everybody look like shit, and, and it makes you feel like shit. So there's really no point doing it. So I think what I've been doing is 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 trying to verbalize my anxiety more in terms of raw feelings before actually translating it to actionable. So I usually say, okay, like Jeremy, I'm feeling like shit now. There's all these deadlines, mm. blah 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 blah, and he gets it because when when you are being vulnerable, right, and not making someone feel implicated, right, I think. Receptive to to listening to you and forgiving you after a while. <laughs> that's that actually I had not heard that thought before, and that's actually really strong. So the, by 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 rather than getting all angry because you're emotional, just letting somebody know, hey, I'm feeling very emotional because of this thing. Mm. That's actually that's actually powerful. I had not I had not thought about that. Yeah, I think it's it's something I learned from <laughs> marriage prep. Actually, I'll, I'll talk more about it later. <laughs> yeah. No whoa, way. whoa, no, 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 not later. What you you learn this from? Yeah. Okay. All right. So... <laughs> all right. I, I, you got you can't just you can't leave me hanging on that. You gotta you gotta go. What? Huh? Okay. Yeah. So, um, it's funny because like um, Gerald and I, you know, Gerald Dong, right? Our good friend yeah, Gerald Dong, right? We we went to the same marriage prep, and and we always joke about it. But actually, the things that you learn at marriage prep, right? Well, maybe to me, fifty percent so, of so it was bullshit. They have a wait. They have a marriage prep. What yes. what is? I I didn't prep for my marriage. We just got <laughs> married and started fighting. What what? Uh huh. So okay, for Catholics in Singapore or Catholics worldwide, right? But I'm not Catholic. I just decided to go because I wanted to like. I was just curious. You didn't have enough guilt in your life, and you thought, well, that will help me out. <laughs> no, not really. I, I just really liked the format of the the marriage prep focus group, which was like maybe six couples coming together to share about their journeys and stuff, which is better than like a seminar, or better than one-on-one. So um, 50% of it was bullshit. You know, like, oh, God, and sexuality, or premarital sex is shit, blah, blah, because, like, come on, like, 90% of us are already having premarital sex, right? So nobody cared. But yeah. the most important thing was communication. And I think what the marriage prep focuses on is that love is really a decision. Like, it takes freaking a lot of hard work to love. And I sort of translated, I shared this with my co-founders as well. And, like, I know it's going to sound a bit cheesy, but, like, I, I treat my business as a marriage in a way, like just because like Jeremy. Well, now I have up. some very uncomfortable thoughts about Alan <laughs> right now. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I want to just put that picture in your mind for a minute. Alan and I happily married. I want you to. Um, yeah. yeah, it's not an it's not a new vision actually. I think a lot of us think about this all the time. Oh yeah, it's just Chris and Ellen, you know, the husband and wife, you know. So it's it's true. It's actually Alan's 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 wife refers to me as wife number two. That yeah, is that right. is my nickname in in the Simonson household. So nice. Well, you know, the nice thing is in Chinese culture, the second wife is the younger, prettier one. So you know, oh, I got I got that going yay. for me. Good for you. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, in marriage prep, the communication was about a lot of it was about how how do you resolve arguments and how do you present yourself in in such a way that that um, makes both parties feel like they're listened to. And one of it was um, talking about your feelings, like really mm. learning how to be vulnerable. And um, you you have to trust that whoever you're talking to isn't going to take that vulnerability and use it to attack you. Like that that's what trust is about, you know. I mm. mean in in marriage, it's not just about fidelity. That's 
trust. It's about trusting that that person always has the best faith, best of faith in you, right? And and that applies to both Sharon and Jeremy. And like I I respect them immensely, right? Both of them. And sometimes they piss me off. Sometimes they annoy me. And and these are not good reasons to consider a, a breakup in or a separation in a business partnership, right? You you have to stick with them and figure out how to move things on. So yeah, a little bit about BizDev is that uh, we treat Imba as a fourth entity, like a separate entity. We don't treat it as like a combination of three of our values because that that will generally lead to conflicts that are unsolvable, right? So we treat Imba as a, a separate entity, and we is it like it's actually like a child. So three of us are trying to put our best foot forward to to bring this child up. You get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that for communication, actually. When 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 I'm annoyed, I just tell Jeremy, like, um, I'm feeling overwhelmed now. How 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 big is Imba? How many people is this other than the three of you? Um, There's Sing Hui and Sing En. I'm sure you know them. Yeah, of course. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. So, uh, two of them. So, our family is about five people now. Yeah, you know, I think one thing is when you get when you get larger, the way that you're thinking about it as a as a fourth entity, as a as a child that you're raising, uh, not not to refer to my staff as children, but once you actually have like 20 people or 30 people, yeah, it's so much easier to think about it that way. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, you you know, it's at at the point that Boomzap became, you know, at, at one point we were like 90 people. When when we were that big, it was impossible for Alan and I to think of this studio as being us. That would it yeah. was a ridiculous thought. And it was this this sort of separate creation of its own, and I, I think that 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 way that you're defining it as a as a child that you're raising, I, it really speaks to my experience. Like mm. like that's exactly how I feel. And you're like, you know, I I have to go take care of this. And and when you've got all this staff, it actually has a face now, right? It's not yeah. just a a piece of paper and some money and some bank accounts. It's also you know, it's it's Karen and Caroline and Janet and, and all of these people that you think, if I fuck this up, this affects them. Yeah. And and they're not in control of this. They don't get to make the decisions that you get to make because it's your company. Yeah. But they're going to be affected by that. And so suddenly it's it's like your child has, you know, real human beings in it. And those real human beings are affected by what you do. And, and when those human beings become legion... Uh yeah, it gets it gets to be a very heavy weight actually. Yeah, definitely. And um, I mean, we have to put our egos aside. I mean, it's like raising a child, right? We, yeah. we have to put our egos aside for the benefit of the companies, which also means that your company as a fourth entity needs to have very clearly defined values and goals as well. So every yes. decision we make in the company, um, we we go by the values. Like we don't believe in democracy. Obviously, three is a very nice number to like skew votes and shit, but like we don't really do that because that's, you know, a democracy makes it about us. It doesn't make it about the company. But if you make every decision and you decide it based on, okay, does this bring up the value of this company? Does that bring up the value of the company? Then to us, that's how we work and that's how we found that it was better for us. You know, it's funny. People have argued when when we started our studio, everybody told us like, uh, you know, you you can't have a studio with two founders because who who will throw the deciding vote? Mm. And and we we got a lot of people who said you just can't do it. You can't have a studio with two founders. And we actually found that two was a really good number mm. because our studio is made very conservative by that. Right? Mm. If, if I can't convince Alan it's a good idea, it doesn't happen. Mm. And if Alan can't convince me it's a good idea, it doesn't happen. 
There's never that time where one of the founders thinks it's a bad idea, but we do it anyway because the other two founders think it is. Right. I, I can't ever have that moment. Everything we do, I can't make it happen unless I can convince. And and I think, I wonder if you got a bigger studio, uh, not a bigger studio, but a bigger group of founders, three, four, or five people. Uh, maybe I, I would, if I started a studio tomorrow with three founders, I would try to follow that same idea. That same mm-hmm. idea that if, if your idea is not good enough to convince all of the founders at least, mm-hmm. you probably ought not be doing it. And I've got friends that have studios that have like five founders. Uh, I think Gabby's studio has five founders. Yep. And I, I look at that and I'm like, holy shit, how to get, how to get buy-in from four other people for your ideas. Mm-hmm. That's got to – and I'm actually – this is on my list of shit to talk to Gabby about uh, because <laughs> I, I'm curious how he does that because I, I, I don't know if I would have that patience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely need to, to spend a lot more time and especially managing personalities where, where you want to make sure everybody feels equally listened to. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you were talking about how you want to convince Ellen, right? That, like, your idea is worth it. But I think at Imba, like, it's not really so much of convincing as to, like, making sure you feel listened to. And then, like, if we don't agree with uh, your idea, perhaps, like, we can put it in the ideas bank. But we try not to, like, completely dismiss. Did, did you just say that you were going to KIV someone's idea? Did, is that what you, the <laughs> idea bank, is that the new terminology for KIV? <laughs> I mean, it's putting it in somewhere where, like, we could revisit it later, right? All right, so wait, for those, I, I just realized there's a bunch of people who, who have not dealt with Singaporeans. Singaporeans are the most anagram-loving people you will ever meet. They've got a three-letter code for everything. And KIV means to keep in view. And when a, when a Singaporean says, we're going to KIV that, that is them saying, we're never, ever, ever going to do that. <laughs> That, okay, that is honestly, how a I've never says used KIV. I've never used KIV in my life. I've, never I've heard it so many times with Singaporeans. And, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yeah, we're going to keep that in view, which is them saying, we're never going to do that thing. That is as dead to me as anything on the world. No, but so. okay, so we try not to do all this lip service crap, right? Like we actually yeah. put it in like a bank and we review it every year, especially when we are stuck or like we, we are deciding what direction to take for this year. So for mm-hmm. example, this year... um. Since we are not hustling anymore, we are actually spending more time with experimentation because, like, we've been spending so much time providing services for people that we, well, I, <laughs> not we, I feel like we haven't been good enough. Like, I always feel like we are not good enough. The experimentation would help us improve our craft, you know, so yeah. we, we are not that caught up with, with service all the time. And as well as, um, having publicity for what we do so that includes live streaming and all that so that's all these things were previously in the ideas bank uh, stuff that we you know randomly talked about but you know wasn't a good time so now is a good time to do that so, Whoa, we so so you guys live stream um recently yes more so i i was unaware of this so what what do you live stream <laughs> um so recently i live stream myself doing a lot of a. Uh, Foley, like kitchen foley, like it's just no me way. sitting down. Yeah, it's just me sitting down with a bunch of like fruits on the table and like squishing them. <laughs> it's really so. Have you, have you have you gotten many followers on that, or are, are uh, people watching this? Um, about six people, but our really really good one we had about like twenty seven people watching. That one was the twins doing the wishes. So in our studio we had like all sorts of things: badminton rackets, we had sticks and library. So we did it on Facebook, actually. Facebook Live is obviously a lot better for reach than Twitch in our context. Yeah, I think in your context, because you're not, you're not, you know, reaching out to people who are already playing games and things yeah. like that. But I, I have to check that out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a note. <laughs> I'm going to check that out. So I want to I skip forward. Yeah. Um, 
I want you to to talk to me a little bit. I think there's people who are are listening to this who are younger and they're interested in uh, making a life in mm. audio and in music and and. The, the, just to start off with a simple question, if you were 14 years old again, you looked at what you're doing, uh, would you choose this career again? Is this something that you would suggest to a 14-year-old? Was this a good call? Um, I would say that it really depends on your personality. Like for me, I, as, as I've mentioned, I'm relatively privileged compared to a lot of other people, right? So um, it was very natural for me to take risks. It was very natural for me to be a little yes in that sense. Like, um, And I generally like doing stuff that, is in a support role and that I, I know I'm doing a lot of shit, but nobody notices me. I, I don't know why. It's just masochistic. I like stuff like that. <laughs> so, so, but, but on, on the nuts and bolts side of it, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say there's a, let's say there's someone who's, uh, you know, my daughter is actually very interested in music. Um, yeah. and, and if I were to say to her, you know what, you're, you're 13 years old. It's probably time for you to start learning some of the yeah. tools of being a, a, a modern musician, which means learning digital tools. Yep. Where would you Where would you start? Where would Where would you start learning how to become? You know, you've got you've got the twins working for you who are incredible digital yep. musicians. That's right. How if I wanted to build a new Lee twin starting from age thirteen, where would I start her? Okay, so right now, like most people are really, really lucky if they want to learn something new because there's tons of YouTube tutorials out there, right? There's tons. Yeah, but of where, where do you even classes. start? Where do you, where, what specifically do you start with? What specifically do I start with? Yeah, what skill? What, what skill? I mean, obviously, you're going to have to be some variety of musician. You have to know something about music. But what, what specific skills would you start with? What are the core skills of being someone who works in a sound studio? Being able to reverse engineer stuff. So... For game audio, right, you need to be able to have a critical ear. Like when you when you play a game and you listen to the sounds and you listen to the music, right? You have to ask. You have to be able to ask yourself, like, how is this being done, mm -hmm. right? And um, how is this being implemented? Like every time when I walk from grass to let's say water, like how does the footstep change? And why does every footstep sound different? So these mm. are the questions that you got to ask yourself. Um, music, like why when I go from exploration to battle, like the music changes and how mm. does it change? Does it change mm -hmm. via a stinger that, 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 that links both together or does it immediately change into a hard cut? So these are things that you need to ask yourself. Then you try to recreate that. So everything's about reverse engineering. Um, when you listen to a music track, what is it about it that makes it sound so punchy? You know, is it because there's side chaining? Is it because like the kick drum and the bass, they are both very separate entities? Like the, the, the frequencies don't stack on top of each other. Um, how did they achieve that snare drum? How did they achieve that kick drum? Stuff like that. So what, what tools would you suggest them to act? I mean, actual physical tools. What tools uh -huh. would you suggest them to start learning on? Like a, a, like a, my first tools for, you know, uh, high school kids and college kids that are interested in getting an audio. Okay. It depends on whether they are Mac or PC user. <laughs> so if you're a Mac user, obviously like GarageBand is, is fantastic. And like mm -hmm. to upgrade to Logic, it, it's not expensive at all. Logic is, is something that even professionals use. So mm -hmm. these two are really good for Mac. For PC, recently there has been a resurgence of this program called Reaper. Reaper is a very basic um, sound audio production tool that doesn't have its own plugins. But because of that, right, you can it teaches you 
on how to go online to search for your own plugins. That's another skill altogether. Like, yeah, yeah, right. You need to learn how to like what are the search terms. For example, I want a, a a guitar that's acoustic, and in your process of searching for these plugins, you actually learn more about the the terminology and what you need for this track. And Reaper is also very very light, so meaning that you can put a lot of plugins on it, a lot of instruments on it, and like it won't like have memory leaks, which is what a lot of so-called professional um, programs suffer from these days. Mm-hmm. So what did you start with? How did you how did you begin your journey? How did you start in digital audio? Huh, I used to be a clubber. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, I used to take a bit of DJ and I used to club a lot. And um, obviously, when you DJ, you learn the fundamentals of game of audio, which means like EQ, fill, um, what what makes a a good dance track. Yeah. And uh, from there, yes, of course, when I go clubbing, I reverse engineer everything. Like, what does the track use? You also see how the DJ EQs in such a way that the mix is seamless. So all these things, and then um, the first program I used was actually Fruity Loops. Uh, I don't know whether you heard of it before. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, I'm aware of it. Old. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's old school. Fruity Loops anymore. Like they call it FL Studio. Yeah. So, yeah, that was my very first program, and then my second program was Reason, and this was a tool that was used by a lot of um, electronic musicians because yeah. it had really, really good sequences. But what I really like about Reason the most, it it had this analog view. Which is um when you look at your plugins, right? You can turn it around and you can see the wires behind it. And when you <laughs> add a plugin, you have to literally take the wire and plug it into the correct port of the mixer. Mm-hmm. And I felt like this was really really good for people that uh didn't know basic signal flow to learn signal flow. Because I mean most most DAWs like a uh, Logic, you know, Pro Tools, Nuendo, like they are very um scaled down in the sense that you just create channels, you create audio tracks, but you don't actually physically see how it's being routed. And if you don't mm-hmm. have this knowledge on how analog hardware is being routed, right, it, it's a lot more difficult to use all these doors to get them to perform the way you want them to. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's almost an old school way of... Uh... Yeah. So... I want to I want to kind of finalize this. We've been talking for for longer than I usually do these <laughs> interviews, but this is actually there's so much great information in here, and and it's been really it's been w- wonderful talking to you about all this stuff. I want to talk just a little bit about where do you get your information. I ask everybody this question: What books, websites, podcasts, blogs? What is what is the sort of heart of where you are getting your information about the industry? Where how are you knowledgeable? Okay, so the most amazing thing, and I can't say this enough, is the game audio community is super duper helpful. Like, okay, so designingsound.org is a really good place to get basic sound design knowledge and even like 102, 201 knowledge. But mm-hmm. Twitter has really helped me because the, the, the sound designers on Twitter, they're really, really active. There's a game audio Slack, which is also really, really helpful. Like you can ask any question and they will answer you. And there's also the women in audio slack. So these resources has been helping me a lot in, in terms of um, upping my game, which is also why I feel inadequate, but it's a mixture. I'll talk about that later, about imposter syndrome. But like, I mean, the community... Whoa, whoa, wait. What? No, not later. What? Imposter <laughs> syndrome? I, I want to hear this now. What? Okay, so I mean... Recently, only very recently, have I managed to find a way to convert um, envy 
to admiration. And that takes a lot of effort because like, I always feel like a fraud, you know, being stuck geographically in Singapore, right? You, you don't actually have a lot of opportunities to really push the frontiers of audio simply because of the nature and the maturity of the games industry here, right? Hmm. Whereas like, um, let's say... See, that, that, wait, I got to call you out on that. Singaporeans are always talking shit about the game community in <laughs> Singapore. And and you know what? If, if, if you feel that way, I invite you to come over to Malaysia or Indonesia. Or, no, for sure, for sure. Like, Malaysia is amazing. Such a, no, like, no. Singapore has such a great <laughs> game community compared to what Malaysia's got to offer. There is so much good stuff happening in Singapore, and Singaporeans are always talking shit about it. You guys... You guys don't know how good you have it over in Singapore. Wait, so when you talk about community, are you talking about like the social aspect? Are you talking about the government aspect? These two are quite separate. No, I'm talking about the social aspect. I'm talking okay. about how many people there are working in games, interacting with each other. Uh, the, the best place in Southeast Asia is Singapore by a, by a wide margin. It has definitely improved. Like I, I wanted to put a plug for all these like amazing initiatives. Like... Like, this year, we have so many new initiatives, right? We have the Indie Game Dev, and then we have the Unity Developers Group, and, like, Gentle Bros just did an amazing vlog, and now you're doing this podcast. Like, like it's really, really different from what I knew the community was years ago. <laughs> but, again, I, don't, I, I don't know. Yeah. I've, I, well, the thing is, I've been working in Southeast Asia now for, I guess, Boomzap's been around almost 12 years now. Mm. And 12 years ago, when we started this, I would have argued that the best game community in, in Southeast Asia was in Malaysia. And Malaysia was doing a lot of stuff, and there were a lot of people excited about it. And uh, they, they sort of dropped the ball somewhere along the way. And I, I, I could do a whole podcast about that, and I, I, I would like to, and I would like to get a real-life Malaysian in and do an interview where we talk about that. Um, but what I've seen over the years is the Singapore government has done so much to try to build the community in Singapore mm. – and a lot of those initiatives have paid off into building studios and building, especially big studios, LucasArts, mm. Ubisoft. And that's created all of these people involved in the game community. And then those people have sort of created their own social world. Now, admittedly, I don't think the guys from LucasArts and Ubisoft hang out with the indies as much as they probably should. But there, there is... Uh, there's a huge group of people working in Singapore today. And there, mm. there seems to be... I don't know. I think maybe it's a Singapore. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but like Singapore's got this like nobody calls my sister ugly but me thing going on mm. where like Singaporeans love to talk shit about Singapore, but you better not talk shit about Singapore, right? You <laughs> non-Singaporean dude, you don't get to say shit about my town. But Singaporeans, when you talk about Singapore, they're like, oh, let me tell you how terrible it is. Let me tell you. But when you actually dig into it, it's like you say, there's all of these things going on. I mean, one of the things that, that you you were just recently posting on your Facebook yep. uh, with the, the uh, what was it, the audio tutoring, mentoring network. What, tell me about this. Okay, so this one is not a Singapore thing, actually. This is a international thing going on. So the game audio community decided to come together to have this like way to give back to the community, especially if you're an industry veteran. And it's completely free. There's, there's no catch. And you can sign up to be a mentor. There will be volunteers that will be vetting through whether you are fit to be a mentor. And if you want to be a mentee, just go ahead and sign up as well. And so that's course, not a Singaporean thing. That's a, no, it's so not. Any, anyone who's listening to this podcast that's interested could get involved in this. That's right. That's awesome. And, yeah. and I, I, I will say in the game community, probably the most community-oriented part of the community is the audio community. There's That's something right. A, 
you know, the, for years there's all they always make sure there's an audio track at all the conventions. They always make sure there's audio meetings and stuff. And I, I I'm not sure what it is about sound people that makes them so clickish. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> clickish is the wrong word. It, they're they're community minded people. They're very open community. Do, and they do, do you want? Supporting. Is it okay if I explain to you my observation on why? Please. Yes. Okay. So the the game audio community is the only community I've ever encountered that has no qualms about being nice. And by being nice, I mean like actually really respecting each other, not talking shit about each other, making it more inclusive. Like in the game audio Slack itself, the the owner, the founder of it, Matt, right? He's always asking, how can we be better? How can we be more inclusive? For people who are not speaking out, why are they not speaking out? Is this a, too much of a bro club, you know? Is there a way we can alter our language to be more welcoming? And no, nobody ever objects. They're just like, yeah, I think, I think we should. We should do this to be more inclusive. And, and it just shows that the, the, the shared values of this particular game audio group is, is really, really, it's, it's something that everybody believes in. And, and but it's, it's weird for me because, you know, even today, such a huge amount of game audio is produced by outsourced studios. Mm. And so whether you're an outsourcing freelancer or an outsourced studio, you're more in competition with everybody else. I mean, game artists, uh, you know, uh, there are, of course, uh, independent art studios, but most game artists actually work for a game studio somewhere. Mm. And so they're not really in competition with each other, right? Yeah. But but sound producers are actually, honestly, literally competing with each other every single day, and yet they're helping each other out like that. And that's always confused me a little bit. Why? <laughs> why, why, why is it that the people who have the most sort of game incentive to tear each other down spend so much time not tearing each other down? What, what happened? How is that? I think it's really like to... Not to sound like I'm victimizing myself, but it's the common ground for this marginalized uh, role in the games industry. I mean, game audio people, as you said, already mentioned, most of us are outsourced. And a lot of us, right? a lot of the problems that I've spoke about just now, about people coming to us late or people like not knowing how to communicate with us or people like undercutting or people not understanding what goes behind the work, is something that's shared from juniors to industry veterans. Like we talk about this all the time, and and like there there's really no point in pulling each other down because like it's not as if the pie was like I don't know we we can make the pie bigger for everybody in in that sense and everybody seems to know this somehow like nobody's out there like yeah I know I'm gonna like just compete with everybody else you know I don't know I just feel like it takes a lot of effort to be respectful and nice and for some reason they are willing to go through that. So, for example, I've just read a GDC guide by one of my very good composer friend, Jeremy Lim. He's based in Vancouver, actually. Hmm. And he notices all these small, small things that, like, you know, many of us won't even notice. Like, oh, you know, when you're networking, make sure you're not dominating the conversation in a group. Or if you're in a group and you're just hanging out, if somebody new joins in, make space for them. All these things require, like, an intense amount of self-awareness. And, and you really, really need to put in effort to be that person. And I feel like every, almost everybody in, in the game audio community, like, they are like that. And, and that's what I really enjoy. Every time I go onto Twitter, I feel at home because, like, I feel welcome and, like, it, it makes it easier to ask technical questions without feeling like a fraud because, like, even a topic about feeling like a fraud is very openly discussed in the Slack channel as well. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. In a in a podcast I, I was I was just talking to uh Ian Gregory, another yes. great Singaporean developer. And yeah. I, I did a, a little monologue before and I was talking about exactly that that struggle that I have personally with looking at my friends who are really successful mm. and and not being envious of it, you know, yep. and especially on Facebook when you see, you know, look, my game just was number one and I just made all this money and blah, blah, blah. And you're just and they're your friend and you, you like you want to love them and you want to be like, yeah, good for you. It's so great to see that. But there's always that little tiny part uh, that you can't deny deep in your heart that mm -hmm. is like, why him? Why not mm -hmm. me? Why, why did he get that? And I've been working just as hard as him. How come he gets that and I don't? And, and it would be unhuman of us to not have that part, yeah. right? No, no human being could watch his friends have the kind of successes some of my friends have had and not have some part of them be like, yeah, fuck you, dude. God damn it. <laughs> you know, like it's, and, and, and having to like deal with that emotion and, and turn that envy, like you say, turn that envy into admiration and say, you know what? That's that's great for that guy, and I need to celebrate his victory, and maybe I can learn something from his victory to, mm. to change that that because you're gonna have that emotion, you're gonna have that. God damn it, you fucking asshole! Why did you make all that money and I didn't? It's it's so, I don't know. It's it's a human thing, and I've I've watched friends of mine have incredible successes. I've been making mm. games twenty some odd years, and I've mm. seen people make you know literally hundreds of millions of dollars in the game industry, and and just you 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 know or or have critical successes or or you know and, however you want to measure success i've i've got some friends that have families mm. that you're like wow i wish i had you know i wish my kids liked me as much as your kids like you you know <laughs> it's it, like like it's not just about the money it's it's at every level of success there's always going to be that little part deep down inside of you that's going to have the envy yeah and you you got to you got to deal with that as a person yeah, you can't let that. I mean, you are right in saying that you can't erase that emotion, but you don't let it consume you. I mean, once yeah. you notice that you're thinking this way, you need to tell yourself that I suck and like I, I shouldn't be thinking this way, right? <laughs> you, you need to be conscious of that. Like I like how you change the envy directly into guilt. That's cool. That's <laughs> like you're just trading that emotion right out. Oh, I, I feel really envious. God, I suck. Like yes. you go straight yeah, into no, self-hating it, and depression. So, That's cool. That's right. <laughs> I'm like that. I mean, it's, uh, whenever I get angry and all that, it's not just anger, there's guilt as well, right? There's all these like, yep. uh, human beings are complex creatures. There's, there's why so didn't I do so good? Why did I fuck up? How yeah. come I'm not as good as them? Where, yeah. Why can't I work as hard as him? Oh exactly. yeah, absolutely. Yep. So, <sighs> yeah, I mean, and, and because they're such great people, I can't bring themselves to hate them either. So if it's this guy that like probably, you know, got a successful game, but he's a real douchebag, at least I'm like, yeah, I know he really doesn't deserve it. But what if he's a really, really nice guy, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> that's where it's really it. hard. Yeah, I, yeah, I'll, I'll talk, I'll talk about one guy by name. Um, and I think you know him as well. Matthew Hall, um, is one of my favorite game developers. He's a friend of mine and he was the developer behind Crossy Road. Mm. And I've, and, and he's made so much money on that, and he's had so much success with that. But you know what? You can't hate him. You can't dislike him because he's one of the nicest human yeah, beings right? you will ever meet. <laughs> and and that that creates in you this this wild conflicting emotion of of incredible envy for his success, but at the same time this incredible happiness for watching one of your friends be successful. But again, that little tiny bit of guilt where I think to myself, you know what? Five years ago. His studio looked about like my studio. Mm. So why didn't why didn't I do
do what he did? Mm. What's wrong with me? What's what's failing in me that I couldn't take the starting position that I had, which was very similar to the starting position he had five years ago, mm. and turn it into what he has today? Like that guilt, that, that self-hating that comes from that, that's really hard to deal with. And then piled on with the guilt of why am I even being envious of him? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I shouldn't I shouldn't feel like this. I should just be happy for my friend. That's how I should be. But you're human and you're going to have human emotions and and you yep. have to And honestly, it's one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast. I, mm. I have people asking, what's, yes. what's Yeah. What's the whole point of the podcast? And for me, a big part of the podcast is I think people don't understand what success actually looks like. Mm. They they don't they don't know they they don't know they don't know how the sausage got made right mm. and and you know I I was talking to to Jessica Tams who started Casual Connect you know and we were talking about you know what did what did your what did your startup look like and she was talking about you know when I started Casual Connect I had to move into my basement and I had mm. to rent out the top of my house and I sold my car and when mm. it was time for me to take boxes to the post office for the Casual Connect event in Amsterdam I had to walk a mile down the street with the boxes in my arms because I didn't have a car mm. that's and 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 at those moments you feel a little bit like a failure. You do wonder like is this ever am I ever going to get where I want to go with this, mm. you know? Uh you know, I've I've gone a year and a half without taking a salary mm. recently. I'm not talking about like back in the day. I'm talking about I started taking salary again in November, right? So, it, you know, even even people that, you know, you look on Facebook and you say, oh, this person is wildly successful. And not that anyone yep. says that about my Facebook, but, yep. but you know, people who I know, who I know on Facebook look incredibly successful. When you really talk to them, you find out that underneath that sort of veneer of success, they're facing a lot of the same challenges you are. They don't they don't know where their next yep. paycheck is coming from. They don't they're they're you know, all of us in this industry are a couple bad games or a couple bad decisions away from shutting our studios down. Mm. I mean, I mean, I just wanted to say like that's why I really, really appreciate like what you're doing the podcast because like people need to hear this shit. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like it, people it, need to know the failures that go behind it. People need to know the vulnerabilities that people go through and what they're feeling at that point of time. You know. And and, that that was that was where I was trying to go. So I'm happy it's coming across. Mm. Um, a, a lot of it comes from it was a conversation I was having with my you know you know Jan Marshall, a really yeah, good friend yeah, of mine. Yeah. Yeah. And and Jan and I were talking at a convention, and we were saying, you know, we always have these we always have these discussions. You know, both of us are entrepreneurs, both of us run game studios, and so we have very similar challenges. And and we're like, nobody nobody gets this. Nobody nobody gets this part of entrepreneurship. They get the the bit where you get invested and you, everyone gets air on chairs, and you know, we they they see that glamour and they don't see. Actually, there are human beings behind this, and these human beings are dealing with a lot of stresses to get here. And and some of these human beings, including you, are wonderful people and have this wonderful view of the universe. And I have all these incredible conversations with people, but they end up just kind of getting getting lost because I had mm -hmm. them in a in a room at a convention somewhere, and after it's gone, it goes away. And I thought, what if I could, what if I could put these conversations out somewhere where people could hear them? That was that was the original idea behind the podcast. So, mm. yes. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask one last uh, question about you. Mm. If if somebody were going to ask everybody the same question, if somebody were to take one thing about you that 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 they heard from this interview, like one, it, you know, I listened to this interview with Gwen and she was this person and I learned this thing. What would that thing be? What What do you hope that people like? What do you hope that people think about when they think about Gwen? 
Um, okay, so I thought about this and uh, I actually had this quote running through my brain for like the past season, like we're talking about late last year and stuff, because um, I met up with a uh, Brie Code. Uh, she was the lead programmer for Child of Light and she really, really mm. inspired me when I attended her talk and and she wrote this on her blog and it goes like this. Radical softness is the idea that sharing your emotions is a political move and a tactic against a society which prioritizes a lack of emotions. It's actually by a feminist poet, but I think we can apply this a lot to how we deal with people everywhere, including the games industry, that like, especially in Asia where it's like, you know, People don't really share their emotions and vulnerabilities, but this is the best way for people to connect as a community is, is exactly what you're doing, which is like exposing failure, exposing their vulnerable moments. And this is important to get connected to each other. And if we don't do this and we just tell the so-called success stories, right? How is it going to make people who are new to the industry feel, right? I, I look at, I'm, I'm actually, you know, uh, for, for those of you who don't know, before I do these podcasts, I send everybody a list of some, some questions I'm thinking of so they have some chance to think about all of this. And so I've actually got this quote written in front of me on my, my <laughs> cheat sheet. And I, I'm drawn to the bit of it that says a society which prioritizes a lack of emotions. And I hadn't really thought about it in those words before. But yeah, that's that's what we live in, isn't it? Mm, that's that, right. That's that's the challenge. The challenge is everybody wants you to think about consumer materials. They want you to think about money and, and success. They want you to think about, uh, you know, achievement. They want you to think about all of this other stuff, and they want you to overcome your emotions to get that stuff, mm. whether it whether it's success or, or, or sex or, or uh, you know, money or whatever it is. The, the idea is that you would that your emotions are some kind of stumbling block. Yeah. But that's but that's not really it. The emotions are kind of the the whole point. That's right. right. I mean, the whole reason why I mean I feel so enthusiastic whenever I go to conferences is actually my anxiety. My anxiety is the one that's helping me through all this. It's like I I don't know how because the feeling of anxiety and it's kind of mishmashed up with excitement and that really mm. hypes you up to meeting people as well and you just need to keep that in check you, you don't have to get rid of it you don't have to take medication because like if you take medication like it, it completely changes who you are actually so like just embrace it and find a way to talk about it openly so people can understand so for example like um you know up to today right before i give a talk at a conference right i get so freaking anxious that like i have both diarrhea right <laughs> oh yeah and I been there yeah yep yeah so just like Fluids running out from both orifices of my body, right? <laughs> yep, yep. So, I know exactly. I don't. I don't eat when on on convention days. Yep. I don't eat breakfast because I know that, or or I'll eat a very tiny breakfast because I know if I've got to speak or if I've got a bunch of meetings. Yeah, that's exactly how it plays out. Yeah. Yep. So what has helped me is that I I speak to the MC. Like I just tell her that like, hey, I'm feeling this way, and most of the time, like I get pleasantly surprised. It's like people tell me, yeah, I feel this way too. You know. Like, you know, may not be as bad as yours, but it exists and I feel this way. So that solidarity is something that we can all tap on, that you know that you're not alone. And when you feel that you're not alone, then you're in a better headspace to really um, have creative output and work on the things that you really want to work on. Yeah. I'm going to leave that there because that that's beautifully said and uh even including the flowing out of both orifices part. I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to say that that there was beauty in all of that and, and and like everything that happens on my podcast if it's really beautiful it involves poop. Yes. Um so 
any case, I, I, I hate to follow that up with something as commercial as this, but I always give people at the end of the podcast sort of a chance to pimp their shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to make sure that people who are interested in finding out more about you and your company have some, some places to go. And I'll, I'll put all of this in the links at the bottom. But can you share me a little bit about, like, if I, if I just listen to this podcast and, holy shit, Gwen's amazing, and I want to hire a studio or I want to know more about what she's doing, where would I go to find more about Gwen? Okay, you either email us at... Um www.inbarinteractive.com or you email me straight at gwen at inbarinteractive.com or you can just follow my Twitter. I'm actually quite active on Twitter. So my Twitter name is uh, gy underscore gwen. Yeah, you can just check me out there. And also we have an amazing, inspired by the game audio community overseas, we have this amazing um, Singapore-based game audio community right here in Singapore. And, and like uh, we hold events once a month. So you can check that Facebook out. Just go and check... Um, G G A S G Game Audio Singapore. Yep. All right, cool. And I'll make sure I'll put all of those links. If you go to the SoundCloud version of the podcast, they'll be in the description. All of that will be there, so it'll be easily clickable uh, as soon as Gwen types it all down for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's that's what we've got for the podcast today. Uh, holy shit, this was this was hands down one of the best interviews I've done. Serious? Uh, this, <laughs> no, this there was so much good stuff in here. So, thank you. I know this was. I promised you we'd talk for an hour. We talked for an hour and a half. Uh, thank you so much for your time. This has been thank absolutely you, yeah. huge. Keep doing the podcasts. I think they're awesome. I've, I've promised. Here's the deal. I've promised to do 25 of them. And at the end hey. of 25, I'm going to reassess and I'm going to see how I feel about it. But I promised. I've sworn to myself I'll do 25 of them. I've got some great people lined up. But but if I, if I can get three more interviews as good as this one, I'll feel like my time was well spent. So <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. And that's what we have. I know that this went long. That's like an hour and a half worth of solid interview. And I know that I, I'm, I'm trying to keep these interviews a little bit shorter. But there was just so much good information there. And I wanted to keep all of it. And I went through and I thought, okay, I'm going to cut this down. And then I was like, nope, I'm not cutting this at all. I'm leaving it exactly like it is. There's just way too much good stuff in there for me to take any of that out. So I hope you made it to the end of this. I hope that was fun for you. I hope you're enjoying these interviews. I hope you're enjoying these monologues. If you are... You know what to do. Go give us the ratings and tell your friends about it and all that other good stuff. And we'll see you on the next episode.